What does a new American Evangelical report say about climate change? And why is Sunoco suing its insurance company? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Bechtersphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hoke, a climate communicator. Today is Thursday, September 1st. Let's jump right into today's news. Let's start with some extreme weather events. The lower Rhine River at the Germany-Netherlands border hit its lowest level on Monday at 0.8 inches or 2 centimeters. Rain is expected to fall soon, but it won't be enough to provide sustained relief for the major rivers. Cobb has dropped down to 12.2 inches or 31 centimeters, which is too little for even the shallowest boats to be sustained. If this part of the river stays below 78 centimeters for 30 consecutive days, it will result in a 1% reduction in German industrial output, according to the German Kiel Institute for the World Economy. So shipping is being impacted by the climate crisis, and then the railroads are being taken up by transporting coal and mineral oil. In the U.S., all of California was put under an excessive heat advisory yesterday, which will go until Tuesday. Temperatures in Los Angeles County reached 107 degrees Fahrenheit or 41.7 degrees Celsius yesterday, with winds blowing 17 miles per hour or 27.4 kilometer hours. These conditions paired with the worst drought in 1,200 years, and you've got a perfect recipe for wildfires. Wildfires have already sparked in rural parts of Southern California, burning over 5,000 acres so far, forcing the evacuation of more than 200 homes and an elementary school. Governor Newsom called on a state of emergency to increase power production so residents can run their air conditioning units. And then in Jackson, Mississippi, there's good news and bad news. The good news is that the area didn't flood as experts had expected. The bad news is the Pearl River swelling did ruin one of two of the city's water treatment plants, causing it to push raw reservoir water through the pipes. The city and state have already started delivering bottled water to the residents. Jackson, which is roughly 80% black, has had questionable water quality for years. In 2020, the EPA found E. coli, so the state and federal governments started working on that. Then, the major winter storm hit in 2021 and froze the pipes, so residents were without clean drinking water for several days. Last October, lawyers representing hundreds of children sued the city for lead poisoning that could have impacted thousands of developing mines. And then, this July, the city has been under a boil water advisory. Locals say the city has been neglected ever since white people left for the suburbs in the 1960s. When that happened, the city lost tax revenue and institutional support. Similar circumstances have led to water crises in other cities like Detroit, Michigan. We have two climate studies today. A new study published in the journal Nature Climate Change determined that the Greenland ice cap will inevitably melt, resulting in an absolute minimum sea level rise of 10.6 inches or 27 centimeters. And that's just for Greenland in best-case scenarios. While the researchers don't have an exact timeline of when the ice will drop into the sea, the research lead said we would realistically see more than double that minimum within a century. It all depends on how quickly we decarbonize. Not only does glacial melt impact sea level rise, but it also can mess with ocean currents by adding a punch of fresh water into the oceans, and it can potentially increase volcanic activity by reducing pressure on the Earth's crust. Another recently published study, this one in Nature Communications, calculated that if 90% of new urban populations were housed in newly built mid-rise buildings made of wood engineered for construction, it could prevent 106 trillion gigatons of additional CO2 by 2100. Investigating the best way to expand urban spaces is important because the global share of the population living in urban spaces could rise by 80% by 2100. 
relying on more wood would decrease the use for concrete, cement, and steel, which are all emissions-heavy, hard-to-decarbonize industries. Comparatively, wood has the lowest carbon footprint. Using a lot of wood would require forest plantations to expand by over 200% by 2100 and will likely increase harvests from unprotected natural forests. So this would need to be done with care. The study dives into different areas of consideration if you would like to dive more into the topic. The link will be in the source list below. Let's check out some climate victories. The four-year, multi-million-dollar open climate campaign launched by the nonprofit Creative Commons will aim to lift expensive paywalls for climate and biodiversity research. They're working with fellow nonprofits Spark and EIFL to negotiate with governments, research funders, and environmental groups to create open access policies. The Arcadia Fund mostly funded this initiative with a bid from the Open Society Foundation. I missed this next story. China installed 5,000 solar panels near an expressway in the Sichuan and Yunnan provinces last Wednesday to help ease the power crunch. This part of China is struggling to meet its energy demand due to the drought dropping hydropower output and more people using air conditioning due to record heat waves. China is in its worst drought on record. These panels are expected to produce 4.22 million kilowatt hours annually. The country's grid is still heavily reliant on coal. In Europe, peat-based compost will no longer be sold in the UK for small gardeners starting in 2024. Small gardeners make up 70% of the demand. This decision was made after the UK pledged to conserve peatlands better because they are one of the most carbon-rich ecosystems in the world. In the UK, these ecosystems store more than the region's forests and woodlands. This ban could be a useful demand signal for the compost industry to look for alternatives. To avoid peat, look for compost bags that explicitly say peat-free. Environmentally friendly or organic don't equate to peat-free. You can buy alternatives like bark, coconut fiber, and sheep's wool, make your own compost, or opt into getting compost locally. Over in the U.S., the National Association of Evangelicals published a new sweeping report laying out the biblical basis of tackling climate change. The goal is to help encourage young evangelicals to engage in more climate activism. The report's intro reads, quote, Creation, although groaning under the fall, is intended to bless us. However, for too many in this world, the beach isn't about sunscreen and body surfing, but is a daily reminder of rising tides and failed fishing. Instead of a gulp of fresh air from a lush forest, too many children take a deep breath only to gasp with the toxic air that has irritated their lungs. The nearly 50-page report intertwines the basic science of climate change with Bible verses that tell followers it's their duty to help the planet. This is huge because many American conservatives align themselves with evangelical beliefs, and many church leaders have shown climate denialism tendencies. White evangelicals scored the lowest in believing humans contributed to climate change in a Pew Research study conducted this past January that looked at different race-religion subgroups. This isn't the first time the Evangelical Association has published a climate change report. It's just that the last one was way back in 2011. The Young Evangelicals for Climate Action was founded a year after that report was released, and it is still running today. In the energy sector, the solar power manufacturing company First Solar announced it will spend up to $1.2 billion on a fourth U.S. factory. It specifically said this was in large part due to the passing of the Inflation Reduction Act, bringing hope and incentives back to the industry. The factory will be located somewhere in the southeast. The company also said it will expand its other three factories, which are all located in Ohio. The new factory and expansions will create about 1,000 new jobs. 
This next news story is either good or bad, depending on your take on nuclear energy dependency. South Korea's government proposed a revisal to its clean energy goals that would drop its renewable energy share to 21.5% and increase its nuclear plans to represent a third of the country's energy supply by 2030. That's about a 9% decline for renewables and about a 9% increase for nuclear. This shows a policy shift from the last government to the new one. The proposal still needs to go through government discussions, parliament, and a public hearing before it's finalized. The country has a goal of reducing emissions by 40% compared to 2018 levels by 2030. This climate fail of the day is brought to you by the UK Prime Minister frontrunner Liz Truss. She plans to approve a series of oil and gas lease sales in the North Sea as one of her first acts of prime minister. She sees fossil fuels in the UK's long-term energy plan. This move would not reduce gas or oil prices for a while. We also have a chemical news story. The Texas firm Amplify Energy agreed to plead guilty and pay nearly $13 million for spilling 25,000 gallons of crude oil into the Pacific Ocean off Southern California, killing wildlife, blackening the coastline, and forcing beaches south of LA to close. The company will also receive a four-year probation, be required to conduct pipeline inspections semi-annually, and revise and submit a new oil spill plan to the state wildlife authorities. I feel like fossil fuel companies should inspect pipelines semi-annually already, but okay. Let's finish today's episode with a developing story. The oil company Aloha Petroleum, a subsidiary of U.S.'s Sonico, is suing AIG's National Union Fire Insurance Company of Pittsburgh for not financially protecting them against climate-related financial claims filed by several local Hawaiian governments. Aloha has already had to spend more than $800,000 or £75,000 in defense costs and its insurance company is refusing to help on the basis that climate litigation falls under pollution liability policies. This is the second lawsuit of its kind to pop up recently. In June, the insurance company Everest asked the Massachusetts court to make a decision on the matter to figure out if they can deny paying Gulf oil climate litigation cost coverage. If the courts side with insurance companies, oil and gas companies could be on the hook for billions of dollars in defense costs against a growing number of climate and pollution lawsuits. Insurance companies do have a previous court case on their side. In 2012, the Virginia Supreme Court sided with Steadfast Insurance in stating that the company didn't have to pay for AES Corporation's defense costs in the legal battle brought by the name American village Kivalina. The lawsuit was unfortunately unsuccessful, but the legal decision could suggest precedent. Fossil fuel companies say it will come down to the wording of the Aloha legal case to see if it will impact all following. This is the second precedent the Hawaiian court case raises. We talked about the first one on the August 19th episode as it relates to a recent opioid court ruling. Definitely check out that episode if you don't know what I'm talking about. And that was your climate recap for Thursday, September 1st. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Becosphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.